Glory to Jesus Christ. Annunciation Byzantine Catholic Parish presents Light of the East, a program revealing how the Eastern Catholic Churches have nourished the Roman Catholic Churches and today's world in profound ways through their histories, traditions, mysteries, and spirituality. Hello, I am Father Thomas J. Loya, pastor of Annunciation of the Mother of God Byzantine Catholic Church in Homer Glen, Illinois. And this is a story of the Eastern Churches, an inspiring story of faith, courage, intrigue, mystery, spirituality, dissension, and reconciliation. But most of all, this is an expression of a great experience of faith through our unique divine liturgy. Join with me now as we look toward the Light of the East. Light of the East is also supported by Eastern Christian Publications, where you can find the prayers of the Catholic Byzantine Daily Office at ecpubs.com and by easternchristianmedia.com, a broadband network for you to learn more about the Eastern Catholic Churches. That's easternchristianpublications.com. Glory to Jesus Christ. Welcome to Light of the East. I am Father Thomas Lawyer, your host. We venture now in the Byzantine liturgical calendar. This season we call Great Week, sometimes, of course, known as Holy Week. It's actually a separate feast, a separate time and fast, separate from Lent. See, in the Eastern churches, many Eastern churches, Lent ended actually yesterday, which would have been Lazarus Saturday, the day before Palm Sunday. This is when Jesus Christ, of course, prefigures his own resurrection by raising Lazarus from the dead. And everybody is very happy and triumphant, and they're all following him. But of course, within a few short days, little by little, they'll all peel away as their great hero, their great Superman who can raise them at dead, seems to be weak, seems to not be who he is, because he'll be, of course, arrested, wrongly convicted, scourged, suffer, and die. But in the meantime, the people are following him, And they follow him as he comes into Jerusalem triumphantly. And that, of course, brings us to today. So Lent ended yesterday and Lazarus Saturday with with that magnificent reading of that dramatic story of Christ raising Lazarus from the dead. And then today begins Great Week, a separate week. Now, the Latin rite, Lent moves into Holy Week. However, in the Eastern rites, many Eastern rites, it is just that Holy Week becomes its own separate fast. In fact, that was the origin of what we know to be Lent today. It was actually the days preceding Easter, those first several days, a week before Easter, that was the original most ancient fast. And basically that was to prepare people for baptism. Then that got expanded later on after the, somewhere in the fourth century, probably after the Council of Nicaea. So we have this magnificent 40 days, and now this special Great and Holy Week, which we also call in the Eastern churches the Week of the Bridegroom. Because you see, this brings us to the ultimate meaning of everything, of what really started with the incarnation, the annunciation 
when God essentially proposes a mystical marriage between himself and his bride, his creation, humanity, now become the church. The Holy Spirit comes to the Virgin Mary on March 25th. That's when we celebrate it, of course, and it comes usually during Lent. And we, we make a pause there. When there's, we sort of put aside the fasting and the penance, and we focus on the joy of the Annunciation, because if it wasn't for that, there'd be no resurrection or crucifixion or anything else, because God had to first come into our reality in the flesh, and it started there at the Incarnation, the Annunciation. So what happened there, that marriage proposal, now comes to its consummation, its mystical consummation, now, during Holy Week, as Christ will come to the cross to mystically consummate the marriage on the nuptial bed of the cross, as the church fathers tell us, and he will wed his bride. He will seal that relationship in the cross and then rise triumphantly, of course, on Pascha. During this week, we sing a beautiful hymn, a very beautiful solemn melody, and the words are, I see your bridal chamber completely engulfed with light, O my Savior, and I do not have a wedding garment to enter and enjoy your brightness. Fill the garment of my soul with light and save me, O Lord, save me. So you see, in the wisdom of the church fathers woven into our liturgy, is this idea that this is the culmination, the consummation of a mystical, you have to think mystical, mystical spousal relationship between Christ the bridegroom and his bride, now the church. How shall I enter the splendor of your saints because of my unworthiness? If I dare to enter into your bridal chamber, my garment will give me away. For I do not have a wedding garment, and the angels shall cast me out. Purify my soul, Lord, and in your goodness save me. During this week of the bridegroom, we walk through each day this week with a particular theme relative to this whole mystical marriage. On Monday, which would be tomorrow, once we move beyond Palm Sunday, we focus in the liturgical text on the story of Joseph. Remember from Genesis 37, he was a type, a foreshadowing of Jesus Christ because he was betrayed by his own people, his very own brothers. But it turned out to be a story of great forgiveness and redemption and conversion. So Joseph is a prefigurement of Christ and Christ's suffering or being betrayed. And we have what's called the bridegroom matins during that week and also the pre-sanctified liturgy in the evening. And on Monday, we sing hymns such as this, O wretched soul, think of your last hours. Be dismayed at the rebuking of the fig tree. Act and double the talent given you with a loving purpose. Be watchful and cry out. Grant that we not be left outside the bridal chamber of Christ. And then we sing also this. The serpent thought he found a second Eve in the Egyptian woman, who tried to make Joseph succumb to her words of flattery, but he avoided sinning. He left his garment behind, but was not ashamed of his nudity, as were our first parents after their disobedience. Through his prayers, O Christ, have mercy on us. Now, see how the scripture and the liturgy take us back. It's all woven together, very integrated. Take us back to the beginning of Adam and Eve and their nakedness and how they were first innocent, then ashamed. Well, Joseph now, remember that story, he tried to be tempted and he ran away, leaving his clothes behind. It kind of got ripped off of him. And he did so because he wanted to be pure. And there in his nakedness, though, he was not like Adam and Eve, full of shame, but he was 
protecting his purity. And as it says here, he was not ashamed of his nudity, as were our first parents who were ashamed after their disobedience. So it's a story, once again, that harkens back to correcting, redeeming the sin, the mistake of our first parents in the figure of Joseph, who, of course, foreshadows Jesus Christ. Then we come to Tuesday, and Tuesday brings us to the theme of the ten virgins and our readiness for Judgment Day. That's from Matthew 24. Remember the ten virgins. Some were ready with their oil lamps for the coming of the bridegroom, and some were not. And I can't help thinking how how appropriate, how poignant this is for us now as we are in the midst of this horrible worldly pandemic. It basically is asking us, which virgins are we like? The ones who are vigilant, who are awaiting the coming of the Messiah. Because we don't have a control over this pandemic. We don't have a control over a lot of things. And this is what this time of sheltering home and shutting down and pulling back and allowing social distancing and so on. This is what this is really reminding us of. It's bringing us into a very palpable realization that we are not in control, that God is in control. And we just have to ask ourselves, are we ready for death and judgment? Are we ready for the coming of the Lord? We don't know when he's going to come back, the second coming, the last judgment. Maybe this is a precursor for that, this pandemic. I'm not trying to be morbid or frightening. I'm trying to do as the liturgy does, as this Holy Week does, and in fact calls us by putting this story, the virgins, in front of us. There were those who were not prepared and those who were, and those who were prepared. They had oil in their lamps. The lights were lit, waiting for the coming of the bridegroom. They were vigilant. They were the blessed ones. And this is what's being asked of us now. We're forced into this. We're forced into a position of looking at what is life all about. We've pulled back from everything. All the things that we thought were so essential, things we were addicted to, things that we were obsessed about and possessed by. And now it becomes what is truly essential. What is the meaning of life? How are we before God? How are we in relation to our families, our marriages? Are we ready? Are our lamps lit with plenty of oil, keeping vigil for the coming of the bridegroom? That's the question that's being asked of us and how real that becomes during this great and holy week. Even though we can't come to services, we can watch them live streamed and there'll be live streams on our Facebook page, Annunciation Byzantine Catholic Parish Facebook page. Most of our services are at seven o'clock central time on that Facebook page. We have some during the morning as well, but certainly the evening services will all be live streamed. Again, Annunciation Byzantine Catholic Parish Facebook page, 7 o'clock Central Time. Now we come to the middle of the week, Great and Holy Wednesday. And this theme is the repentant woman who anointed Christ's feet. And she is contrasted with the agreement by Judas to betray Christ. The anointing at the evening service that we do during this liturgy is for the healing of soul and body. Basically, it's the anointing of the sick. And we do so in preparation for the commemoration of the mystical supper the next day. In other words, we're trying to make ourselves worthy of the mystical supper that will occur the next day. When we return, we will continue our walk through this great and holy week, the week of the bridegroom. I am Father Thomas Loyal on Light of the East. 
Light of the East mission is Christianity's reunion. And to tell the story of the Eastern Lung of the Catholic Church, we need your support. In order to keep Light of the East on the air, you can make a donation now by going to ByzantineCatholic.com. That's ByzantineCatholic.com. And then donate securely using any major credit card. With your help, we can keep Light of the East's illumination bright. Glory to Jesus Christ. Father Loya would like you to know that Annunciation Byzantine Catholic Church is open for personal prayer during the coronavirus outbreak. Father Loya is available for confession and personal counseling during the week. The Divine Liturgy is live-streamed Sunday mornings at 10 on the Annunciation Parish Facebook page. Please keep in mind that parish expenses continue in your absence and that your donation can be accepted on the donation page at ByzantineCatholic.com. That's ByzantineCatholic.com. Thank you. You're listening to Father Thomas Loya on Light of the East. You are listening to the Choirs of Annunciation Byzantine Catholic Church under the direction of Timothy Woods in Homer Glen, Illinois. This is the music you hear on Light of the East and is sung during the Sacred Liturgy at Annunciation Byzantine Catholic Parish. Order online at ByzantineCatholic.com. All we ask is a donation of $15 or more, which includes shipping and handling, to Annunciation Parish for each Theosis CD. Send a check made out to Annunciation Parish at 14610 Wilcook Road, Homer Glen, Illinois, 60491. And may God grant you. Welcome back to Light of the East. I am Father Thomas Sawyer, your host. Before I go further in our journey through Great and Holy Week, the Week of the Bridegroom, I just want to pause and reassure everyone that we continue to pray here at my parish, Annunciation, and of course I personally pray for all those victims affected by this coronavirus in whatever way, including those who have been victims of death. We pray for them too. I consider them to be martyrs because everyone that died made our awareness of this disease more heightened, so we are more vigilant. And in that sense, we've saved lives. So every death was not just a death. It was, I believe, an experience of a certain martyrdom. So I pray for the souls of those who have died from this disease. I pray for all those who may be sick and all those who are affected in whichever way. That's the one thing we can do, we must do, is to pray. On Holy and Great Thursday, in the Byzantine liturgical tradition, there are four events. It's a very rich day. Four events that are happening. Jesus washing the feet of his disciples, the institution of the Holy Eucharist, Christ agony in the garden, and the betrayal of Christ by Judas. It is on this day that the bishop in Byzantine eparchies, which are our diocese, will oftentimes consecrate the Holy Chrism in a big urn, and it is then distributed to each 
parish, especially if the bishop is new. It's, it's a way of extending himself to his parishes. See, in the Eastern churches, priests do celebrate the sacrament of confirmation, or we call it chrismation. However, they're really doing it as an extension of the bishop. It's the bishop himself who is really consecrating or chrismating vicariously through the priest. And so the priest receives the Holy Chrism from the bishop as a way of being connected to the bishop, as the way of the bishop extending himself to the parishes. It's also a sign of belonging for the priest, of belonging to a particular bishop. But the bishop also does, as we do in both East and Western lungs of the church, the bishop in the Eastern churches also does the ceremony of the washing of the feet. He does it, however, only with 12 men. He does not use women. And it's a magnificent ceremony where he actually does go to each person, each of the 12 men representing the apostles, washes their feet and kisses them. The theme that we sing during this day is this. While the glorious disciples were enlightened at the washing of their feet at the supper, the unholy Judas was blinded by his love for silver. He delivered you to unjust judges, O Most High Judge. All your lovers of riches, meditate on this. Love for money drove a man to take his own life. We must flee from greedy souls who would so betray the Master. O Lord, so benevolent to all, glory be to you. And also in this day we sing this. I am truly human, and not only in appearance. And through this communion of natures, human nature is made divine. Therefore... Recognize in me the unity and the integrity of the two natures. That is from the Matins, a great and holy Thursday. It is the voice, the words of Jesus Christ calling to us, I am truly human and not only in appearance. So recognize me, the unity and the integrity of two natures. This great and holy Thursday, as great as it is, packed with multi-levels of themes, we then move on to an even more solemn day, the great and holy Friday, Christ's suffering and death on the cross and his burial in the tomb. What we do on this day in the Byzantine church is we read the, we call them the 12 Passion Gospels. Now, there's only, of course, four Gospels, but we read 12 Gospels because what we do is we read the Passion story, the story of the suffering, the arrest, the betrayal, the suffering, the death of Jesus Christ, and his burial in the tomb, we read all four accounts from all four Gospels, and we read all of them. So we have to divide it up into several Gospels. Basically ends up being 12 Passion Gospels. And in between the reading of these Gospels, there are liturgical texts that are sung that, of course, talk about the mystery that is going on here of Christ's passion and death. In the evening, a very dramatic service occurs. It's an evening vesper service in which there is a tomb or structure in the middle of the church which represents the tomb of Christ. And on the altar is a shroud with the image of Christ wrapped in the barrow wrappings, something like the famous Shroud of Turin. And towards the end of the vesper service in the evening, the priest has that shroud lifted above his head or put on his back. And he's taking the posture of Joseph of Arimathea and Nicodemus who took down the body of Christ on the cross. And there's a solemn procession that goes through the church and outside around the church, people following with candles. And then the priest lays that shroud in the tomb 
It is then venerated by the faithful. They all come up on their knees and kiss the area on the shroud in which the body shows the wounds of Christ, his hands, his side, his feet. The church remains open all night for vigil. We're like the guards at the tomb who stand vigil. And we have a moment then, an opportunity for prayer before the tomb of Christ in which his body is buried. We sing also the Lamentations of the Mother of God, a service which has these very moving words as though the Mother of God were standing at the tomb crying out and her lamentation, her sorrow, seeing her innocent son, the one who wraps the heavens in a cloud and glory is now wrapped in burial wrappings and put in a tomb. He whom not even the world can contain is now contained in a tomb like a corpse. It's an incredible mystery. And the church will remain open. The priest hears confessions. It's a deeply moving, solemn moment. And then we move into Great and Holy Saturday with the Jerusalem Matins, the magnificent Jerusalem Matins. This is a service that brings us into a reality of this Holy Week that is oftentimes, I think, underplayed, but it's really the heart of it all. It's a service that is entirely dedicated to the event of Christ descending into hell. You know, he's laid in the tomb, his body is there, but his soul, his spirit goes into hell and does battle with Satan and breaks the bonds of hell and releases the captives there. There's a magnificent icon called the Herring of Hell, where it shows Jesus Christ like a triumphant military leader with an armband, his robes flowing in the wind as he descends triumphantly into hell, trampling down the gates of hell, which fall in the form of a cross. Locks are broken, hinges are broken off the doors, and he grabs Adam and Eve, who come out of what look like tombs, sarcophagus, And around him are the other people from the Scripture, the Old Testament especially, who could not enter fully into heaven until Christ had defeated the devil and broke the bonds of hell. And he releases the captives there. And the next day, then, he will rise up. As he's rising up, it will become announced the next day at the morning resurrection service, which we call Resurrection Matins. So the... Jerusalem Matins, they're called Jerusalem Matins, is a very, very magnificent, moving liturgical service. It immerses us into Christ's immersion into hell, the battling that goes on between he and Satan. And many of these verses are very, very triumphant because this is a victory. We'll hear triumphant hymns once again the next day on Sunday when the victory is announced to the women by the angels. There is the liturgy of St. Basil the Great with Vespers on Holy and Great Saturday. And it is the baptismal liturgy. It is, just like in the Latin Rite Church, the great and quintessential day of baptism. We often have people baptized then, but that's not the only day we do it. But it is the great baptismal liturgy. And we read many, many readings from the Old Testament having to do with water and redemption. One of the reasons that so many are read is not only because this is such a magnificent and in very, very incredible, very, very meaningful service and moment, but it also gives time for when there were baptisms happening. So the, the faithful, while the baptisms are going on in a separate baptistry, and then the 
those who were baptized would be robed in a white robe, given a candle, they would process into the church for the liturgy and the Eucharist. In the meantime, in the church, people were gathered, they would hear the many, many scripture readings having to do with baptism, death, and redemption. And so we have many of those readings at this liturgy of St. Basil. Then, of course, we come to the great ultimate day of the resurrection of Jesus Christ. And that we will save for next time. Please continue to pray for the world. Pray for me. Pray especially for all those on the front lines, our medical workers, courageously doing their jobs on the front lines, risking their lives in this pandemic. And pray for all those in religious life who are also on the front lines trying to tend to all of our needs in what Pope Francis called the church as a field hospital. Let's pray for each other. Thank you for listening. I'm Father Thomas Loya on Light of the East. To hear Light of the East again, visit byzantinecatholic.com and click on the Features and Programs tab and on iTunes. Thank you for listening to Light of the East. We encourage you to tell a friend about Light of the East and to visit byzantinecatholic.com. Light of the East is produced by ADC Media. Lenten Reflection with Monsignor Charles Pope. As Lent progresses, we move closer and closer to Good Friday, where our Lord will suffer so much for us. During Lent, we often speak of three traditional practices, prayer, fasting, and almsgiving. And really at the heart of it is fasting. Fasting is a way of making room for God. Uh, perhaps we will fast from food, and in that way we can save money and then give alms. Or perhaps we'll fast from some activity, perhaps looking at the internet so much, or television, or some other lawful pleasure. And in that way, we'll not only save money, but time, and we can spend more time perhaps praying, engaged in spiritual reading, or spending time with our family and children, or getting to Mass, or adoration. All of these are ways that fasting is really this idea of making more room for God, making that room in our life for spiritual things. Linton programs now through Holy Thursday on EWTN Radio and TV. Thank you for listening. Next week, we will return to the light of the East. To learn more about Annunciation Byzantine Catholic Parish, visit our website, byzantinecatholic.com, where you will also find an archive of all of our programs. In order to continue Light of the East with its mission of Christianity's reunion, we need your support with a donation. Any amount will be a blessing. Please make out a check to Light of the East Radio and send it to Light of the East, 14610 Will Cook Road, Homer Glen, Illinois, 60491. That's Light of the East, 14610 Wilcook Road, spelled W-I-L-L-C-O-O-K Road, Homer Glen, Illinois. Or donate online on the homepage of ByzantineCatholic.com. From the Light of the East, a new dawn of unity is in sight. God bless you, go with God, and may God grant you many happy years. Oh!